Welcome, friends, to Comics Exchange. As usual, I am Mike D. We have the phenomenal Ryan Shipley. You still got it. Yeah, indeed. And, of course, the reason all here, the physical owner of the Comics Exchange itself, King Bill Langford. Hey, I finally got an adjective there. You're a king now? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, okay. I've moved up in the world. I didn't even know there was an opening in kingships, but... Yeah, I thought Charles had that locked down. Well, I'll take it. Yeah. But, wait a minute, deal. there's not just three people at this table, there's a fourth. What? What? <laughs> that Four. is right. We have Mr. Kevin Smith. What? Like... what? That Kevin? No, <laughs> not, not that Kevin Smith, but an equally special Kevin Smith. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate it. Typically, when people say, uh, you know, Kevin Smith, oh, come on, give us something from Silent Bob, I, I start thinking, Silent Bob never said anything, so I don't know if they're wanting to be my friend <laughs> or telling me to shut up. So, um, That's amazing. So, like, you're kind of around our age, right? Mm-hmm. So, once the Kevin Smith of Mallrats fame started coming out, how quickly did you start getting all the Kevin Smith jokes? Was it pretty... Oh, it was pretty fast, because I was in the military, you're, oh, so, so like what year are we talking about? Uh, 95, 96. Yeah. So okay. Clerks, I think it already came out. The big one was Mall Rats because I think at that time Clerks was still kind of indie, mm-hmm. and um, we were just kind of your typical military guys. We're in our you know late teens, like 19, 20 yeah, yeah, years yeah. old. And uh, so then, of course, when Mall Rats comes out, not only is it Kevin Smith, but it talks about comic books, which. <laughs> I was super cool and collected comic books while I was in the military, and so <laughs> oh, wow. um, I had all the ladies. Yes. Um, yes. Surprised you didn't get discharged. Right, and so I think it really it started then, and but then it became fine because people would buy me. I, I think at one point I had six copies of an evening with Kevin Smith, and so I just started I just started autographing them and handing them out. Yeah. I mean, it was technically legal. Um, I think yeah. um, I enjoy it, and I've never got a chance to meet him, but. I can probably pull off a cosplay for him. So I'm going to buy the wig and definitely try to pull that <laughs> off. And I would be one of the best Kevin Smith cosplayers because my convention tag would actually say Kevin Smith. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so yeah. they're going to know, oh, like, wow. how did you how did you get that part? What did you do there? You know, who do you know? And then maybe I can get in some free stuff. You know, that's what this is all about. Well, so. if, you, if you need a J, I will gladly be your J. Oh, you're you're such Bob. a good J. Yeah, you I, could, I, I could completely rock out. <laughs> Snitchy <laughs> And there is somebody who's got to be so thankful that he met that Kevin Smith. Because if Jay Muse had never met that Kevin Smith, he would have probably died super early. That's, well, there's that also. But yeah. also, I mean, all the money that he's made just from being friends. Yeah. Like, almost like Adam Sandler with um, Rob, Rob Schneider. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if, if he hadn't been friends with Adam Sandler, yeah. what would Rob Schneider be they, doing? They had a falling out a couple of years ago. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, I think they're maybe friendly now, but there was a minute there where Rob Schneider and Adam Sandler were not friends. Was it over Waterboy? I don't know <laughs> what it was over. It may have been over Grown Ups. Okay, okay. Um, to the Googles while you're... Look it up, Shipley. <laughs> that's, our, that's our new catchphrase for... But uh, I don't like this catchphrase. <laughs> but no, we have we actually we have the good Kevin Smith here. Yeah, so yeah I appreciate yeah. it. And, uh, and actually, an, an Ke- evening with this Kevin Smith. Yeah, and Kevin's actually been a uh, a customer and a friend of ours for golly, how long, Kevin? Else? Let's see. I've it's been quite some time, but I would say when I first got my box here, like mm-hmm. my at my weekly um, would be during uh, the New Fifty Two when the mm. um, right around the time the lenticular covers came out so that's i mean we're looking at 10 what 10 12 years easy 
at this point. Was the new 52 the one where they basically relaunched like 52 number one? They did. And I'm not saying an unpopular opinion time. I actually liked the new 52. And so a lot of people didn't. And I was a big fan. And I remember coming into the store because Bill, um, there were people fighting for those lenticular covers. Mm -hmm. And these guys were not like Bill's regular customers. And um, I was in customer service. And so I was seeing like how he was handling this guy that was basically like, I want five copies of Harley Quinn. And Bill's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have it yet. And he goes, here, I'll pay for them right now. And, wow. and of course, Bill wouldn't let him do that. And it was, yeah. he had a line out the door. There's kids in here. And this guy's, and um, ironically, after that, Bill told me he never saw that guy again. Of course. He was probably one of those people that were just going to store to store to try to find those number ones. So, um, but I've shopped comics in Knoxville for years. Um, so I've been a pretty big collector in the city for a while. I, I held off there for a little, little bit, and I really got back in it. And um, when I started coming to Comics Exchange, it kind of blew up for me. And uh, I got back into it like <laughs> I did when I was younger. And so I've been coming in. There hasn't been a month in probably 12 years that I've not been in a store at least once or twice. So, awesome. Man. And um, so I've um, I've got a pretty extensive comic book collection I've collected since I was nine. I have um, 35,000 individual books. Whoa. Wow. And those aren't duplicates. They're not for sale. They're my personal collection. Huh. So it's not 10 copies of X-Force One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, they're all individual books. And I have a um, storage system I use from filing cabinets to half boxes and um i'll set in my garage and i inventory them i go through them and i look at them and go oh i remember this and yeah. so <laughs> it's a it's a good time that's fun it's like an easy way to get into nostalgia well it is like and um just scrolling t- uh, through your comics so what i typically tell people about comics it came from a time when i was waiting tables is that um it was ut graduation i was waiting tables downtown and i got there early it was very busy of course and it's my regulars right front um, him and his wife and I was like doctor how are you and he said hey Kevin how are you and she we're talking and she said hey what's that on your watch and I said oh it's Superman and I had a blue Superman watch she goes Superman and I said well I'm a comic book collector and she thought it was the most intriguing thing right. and yeah. so I'm talking to her and um, she says um, well that is really interesting I said well it's like my wife said there's there could be worse hobbies and she said well you're telling me you you could have a field full of dead bodies and i stopped for a minute and of course anyone outside of knoxville i was talking to dr and mrs william bass who owns the body farm which is who brought up um forensics if you will time of death and so when people ask me why i collect comics i'm like you know what the alternative is right (laughs) and so that's been and she when she sees me if it's been a little while but she still remembers telling me that and uh that's where i'm at right now that's just i that's the job i could never do morticianary or any of that stuff my gag reflex right i couldn't do it aren't you supposed to uh you know, like wipe some uh, vicks vapor rub under your nose it's supposed to keep the gag reflex maybe see you know all the tricks well i just watched quincy growing up that's on tv it. Okay. Yeah, it was in the movies i still don't think it would be enough for me you don't think so i think just the because I get it, like a body is basically like a pot pie with a soul. Um, but I don't really cut open. I hadn't heard, yeah, hadn't heard it described in, <laughs> yes. in frozen uh, frozen yeah. food terms. Uh, but I don't think I would. I don't think I could do anything morticianary. This episode is really going on to some weird. Uh, yeah, this is our seventh episode. I guess we're a little punch drunk tonight. Um, Let's add to that. A friend of the show, Jamie Skull. Uh, we have a common friend who is a sushi chef and moonlights as a mortician. Wow, there you have it. Yeah. Whoa. A sushi chef slash mortician. Cutting raw fish at day and then at night, dead flesh. Golly, this has turned dark in here. This is. I'm sorry, I'm still not past the pot pie comment. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little sure. stuck there. So. No, actually, uh, 
my friend once wanted to go to school for that, and I was trying to cheer her up and get her like where she could do it. And I said, just think about it this way. A corpse is just a pot pie that lost its soul. Oh, on. <laughs> do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> Actually, um, I don't, really. Except for the movie Ghost. I believe in that because I have a copy. Well, so what has happened uh, this week in the uh, the world of comic books? <laughs> that's, a good, Just, uh, that's a terrible segue. But the, Speaking of Popeyes, what's speak, going on in comics? <laughs> um, not a lot of has, MCU or DC news this week, which is interesting. There was some interesting information uh, for those of us who are James Tinian fans. Uh, I count myself in that group of people. Me he's, too. He's opening an imprint over at Dark Horse, actually. Oh. He's going to have his Substack stuff as well as new stuff that he's going to be working on. Well, good. I was wondering if he was going to uh, print the Substack stuff because I, I didn't want to um, I didn't want to read it online. I prefer the hard copy. Same. So I'm glad that he is uh, going to give it to us in a uh, physical form. Because Scott Snyder's done the same thing with his Substack mm-hmm. stuff, right? Has brought it out with Dark Horse. Yeah. Um, and, I um, love demons and... Um, the stuff he's doing with IDW, is that from his subscrap stuff? Is that Substack, new stuff? Yeah. I, it might be. And I yeah. think Brian K. Vaughn's done something similar also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of them said, that's what they said when they announced their Substack stuff. It's like, hey, don't worry, we're going to bring these out in collected editions. Because there was a lot of people that were worried going, hey, you're moving to Substack. And so you're kind of turning your back on the local comic shops. Right. And, and so it's kind of a weird balance because, I mean, the future of comics is leaning in toward digital. And so a lot of these creators want to do digital content. Mm-hmm. However, as old school collectors, we still like having the physical mm-hmm. medium in our hands and holding the, the actual book. And so I think it's it's good that they found a balance to where they can put digital content out. But yeah. at least, you know, they can eventually put it out in a physical form. And also we're dealing with Tinian. I mean, outside of the toss about Substack, you know, this is also a guy that was able to help introduce an amazing Batman villain into modern mythos. So, so but was definitely I know him of course from Batman right and so um, I wish him the best I, I, I love for him to keep doing Batman all the time of course but. yeah he's one of those writers if I see his name on a cover I'm gonna pick it up mm-hmm. um, his uh, Nightmare Country run that he's doing right now for mm-hmm. uh, Black Label I guess because Vertigo is dead right um, it's been it's been excellent no no it has in the DC they would have done well to sign them to an exclusive contract. Yeah. But I think a lot of these new creators, they want to have creator-owned rights to a lot of these uh, characters and stories that they create simply because the TV and the movie shows now are so huge. They're seeing so, that. They're seeing that so much where the Marvel and DC don't really take care of the creators like they should. Right. So I think the days of the exclusive contracts may be done as far as comic mm-hmm. books because the mm-hmm. creators, they want to leave their options open. And I, I completely get it. You know, when you see Robert Kirkman making all this money off Walking Dead, mm. um, sure. and you have a great idea for a story, do you want to go take it to Marvel and DC and have them turn it into a five-issue miniseries with Gambit, or do you want, to, or do you know, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Or do yeah. you want to have your own your own project out there? So, yeah. right now, when I tell people when they come in the store, uh, there's so many great independent comics just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a writer and you have a great idea, why not have it be an independent comic where you control? If it turns into the next Men in Black and you're Lowell Cunningham, um, you know, now you have, you control the rights. Yeah. And Tinian can put out product, too, is a thing that's impressive. I mean, we have to keep in mind, you know, one of the things, and we'll probably talk about it later around the death of Superman in the early 90s, is that Image couldn't stay on a schedule. 
Tinian, on the other hand, did Batman Eternal, which was a weekly comic. Oh, yeah. So if we could imagine the amount of time that goes into getting a comic out, and um, of course, the art has to be done together and everything of that nature. We all know the production that goes with it. So Tinian's shown that not only can he do fast projects, he can do big ones Mm -hmm. in a short period of time. And so that's something in indie that unfortunately we end up missing when books start going you know, once every other month and things like that. So yeah. again, I, I, I'm really happy for him. Cut in. So, right, so, so what books are have they announced? Uh, looks like two was announced by the Hollywood Reporter. One is Blue Book, which will be coming out in February 23, hmm. and the uh, <clears throat> the oddly pedestrian life of Christopher Chaos. That's a great name. I did it first try. <laughs> yeah, uh, nice. That will be in June uh, 23 as well. And it looks like Blue Book is him and Michael Avon Omi. Oh, from Powers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great that's a great lineup. Yeah, but he is really quality work because I think right now he does like four <laughs> or five books a month, right? Um, and I think uh, the nice house on the lake is uh, it's been hurt by like a lot of like um, delays. It like has. You, mm-hmm. um, but I think once you read that as a collection, uh, which obviously they're going to do a collection of it, right? I think it's going to be amazing. I'm planning to finish it once it's all finished and read through it that way. No, Tinian is, uh, and that's the good thing about uh, some of these writers, James Tinian's one, is that he can write different uh, different mm. subject matter. So he can do a book that's, you know, suspenseful, a comic book style uh, book, and then he can also do a creator-owned horror book, and he can yeah. do a creator-owned sci-fi book, and he's prolific and uh, well-versed. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Was there any other big news? In- well, there is a little bit of DC news. Uh, we have something kind of cool to start. Uh, early today, Gunn just tweeted a picture of Mr. Terrific. Ooh. <laughs> I don't think there was any text or anything along with it. He just released that, which I think that's really cool. I think that's a character that could use some spotlighting for sure. I think Gunn could do some really cool stuff with Mr. Terrific. I wouldn't even hate to see Mr. Terrific in like maybe the next Peacemaker series. That would be kind of mm, a right. nice little fit. Yeah. Because I don't know if he could do his own series. Yeah. I mean, they need to establish him first. That's a pretty pretty unique character i think they used him in flash the the cw flash for a minute oh, right right i think they used him for a little bit there fair yeah. play fair play, fair play. <laughs> it, it, it's so dorky it's, but it's it dated works. but it works i mean if he can make peacemaker work right oh right right yeah 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 for sure <laughs> so i mean isn't it cool though that earth 2 is getting like the love you know i mean star mm-hmm. the justice society and right. I've, I've collected those and i've enjoyed because um, for a long time they were just kind of like we don't need these guys you know we have the Justice League and they've actually done really well and they're great characters they're a lot of fun yeah and Stargirl did just get cancelled with season 3 which is a shame I thought Stargirl was really a great it. show mm-hmm. I did. same it, yeah a little, a little heavy on the teen drama but you know that's to be expected with that that level of show but out, yeah. outside of that I, the heart and soul of that show was really great and Shade was so well done oh so yeah. well done yeah um, hopefully um, the, the Lois and Superman show doesn't uh, face the same kind of cuts but Unfortunately, it looks like right now the guys who now own the CW are pushing them more. They want to do more cheaper reality show content. Boo. So there's a, there's a chance that the remaining scripted shows, the Superman show, the spinoff of Supernatural, All-American, uh, could all be completely gutted this year. Uh, yeah, I've because... never been the biggest CW verse guy myself. There, there's no. been a couple I've enjoyed, but the overall vibe, I don't know. I don't want to pick. I know a lot of people love it. It, it just felt a little bit too much like like older style of television to me. And that didn't feel like mm. the newer style of stuff I enjoyed. I think I would have enjoyed it more if, if I had been 14 or 15 years old. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I would watch it and I would enjoy certain shows, but then other shows seems like they lean very heavily into the teen romance aspect. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which to each their own, that's fine. 
But generally, that's not why I watched a show like Smallville or a show like Flash or Arrow. Is I, I wanted to see more of the comic book style action. Sure. Um, but I get CW as the target audience, and yeah. I remember when the CW sent me a promo poster for Arrow for the first season, and I was like, "Oh, this looks cool!" And so I take out the poster. And it's the actor, um, Stephen Amell. Look it up, Shipley. Stephen what Amell. <laughs> Stephen, <Wow. laughs> Stephen Amell. And the so hate in your voice when you say "Look it up, Shipley," and that better not be our first T-shirt. I don't like that so catchphrase. They sent me a poster of Stephen Amell, and before the show even airs, and I take it out and I put it up on the window, and in the poster, he's uh, shirtless. And then as it goes down toward the bottom, towards his legs, it kind of just dissolves into black. So it kind of gives you the impression that he's he's completely naked. <laughs> and uh, and he's got all these wounds. And, and I get they're trying to show off how tough Arrow was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the yeah. poster had kind of a vibe like cheesecake, like beef hunk. Like, oh, you know, yeah, check yeah. out check out this guy. Like the first cover of Smallville. Like, yeah, yeah, similar to that. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. so I, I kind of, from that point on, I kind of realized, okay, the show, I, I can watch Arrow, but I, I'm going to have to put up with 10 <laughs> minutes of Stephen Amell probably with his shirt off doing some push-ups doing and some, some push-ups. He's got to get ready. You know? um, right. I think the biggest problem with the whole CWverse ever was, um, and it was, a, it was a problem with traditional network television, is they feel they have to do 22-episode seasons. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember as a child... I would get mad when HBO would only have like 10 to 12 episode seasons. But as an an adult, a more mature adult, I appreciate tighter seasons because you have less fat. I Um, remember, uh, I think I was watching the British office before the American office. And and I remember I get to the sixth episode and it was like season finale. Yeah. And on the sixth episode. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? This is nuts. Yeah. Six episodes? It's nothing. You can't even make a a DVD. Yeah. And, uh, but, and you're right, in hindsight, now when I go back and I look... You know the show. The show was no perfect. There's not a single no. episode I would take out or anything I would change. It's so great. Like if you look at Breaking Bad, like one of the best shows on ever, and that was realistically 60, 65 episodes. Mm-hmm. That would have been two. That have been three seasons of a network television. Um, it's just. Right. I think it works better like smaller, smaller seasons. Right. And on that same note, uh, Jamie and I were watching Andor last night, and we commented on that same concept where all the episodes are different lengths. One was 52 minutes, yeah. one was 47, so they don't have yep. to tailor each episode to a specific time frame. It just lets the creator just kind of feel that episode out. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. nice. Yeah, yeah, that's what some people said. I've been always been the struggle when you worked a network is if you're doing a sitcom, 22 minutes. If mm-hmm. you're doing a um, hour show, you got to be right at that 44 minute, mm-hmm. unless it's that oversized third. What did they used to call that oversized Thursday where they have like 45 <laughs> minute episodes of Seinfeld, the, the 40 80 page special? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that that would just like frustrate some creators because it's like you have to edit out so much, um, and that's one of the good things with like the cable networks and uh, streaming is that they do allow like there would be episodes of Sins of Anarchy that almost would be two hours long, right? Mm. Um, but the streamers and the cable don't have the same thing that networks do. We're like, you got to get this done by nine because we got to go to this show, right? Yeah. Well, and I, and I could appreciate a little bit on the CW in the respect of like um like. I was, I'm a big fan of Stargirl, and I'm not the target audience for that show. And, you know, I watch Stargirl, and then afterwards I'll watch The Titans on HBO Max, which right. mm-hmm. is so gritty, it's it's insane. I mean, it's there's parts of it, like, I mean, I'm an uncomfortable. Yeah. And I've been in the military, for heaven's sake. Wow. You know, it's just like, <laughs> wow, did they really do that? <laughs> um, the whole dynamic with Hawk and Dove was just really mm, a bit too yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sit and wonder if they do these things like CW. It's like, hey, because I'm a big umbrella type person, mm. and um, I've been that way in comics for a long time. Let's have something like for 
Stargirl for people that want a 14 year old romance and oh, let's, yeah. let's have Naomi and let's do those things. And, um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. I would like what you said that we don't need 33 episodes. So we, we could probably uh, dial that back a little bit, but what a fun character, what a fun little show. And yeah. I hate that it's stopping because, you know, I mean, I, I just, if we can, you know, I think even comic books, if we look at the history of comic books, uh, romance comics were around mm-hmm. for a long time, and that was trying to target female audiences, and it was effective for right. what it was. And um, I, I'm just, I'm not saying we need to go back to romance comics, okay? So don't get me wrong here, guys. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is I like the fact when we expand audiences that way to certainly whether or not the uh, target dynamic, the most, the one that's going to make the most money. Yeah. But, that's what I've kind of dug, like the um, Marvel's um, output on Disney Plus is it's all, mm-hmm. it doesn't all just appeal to my demographic. Mm-hmm. Like Miss Marvel right. was kind of like a more of a teen drama. It was. Um, I kind of dig that everybody, you don't have to watch it all. You can watch what appeals to you. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, I've said this before, Marvel's real smart about preventing burnout by that doing that yeah is that every show feels a little bit different one's kind of like a sitcom one's a romantic comedy one's an action show yeah um but yeah yeah that way you don't always get the same thing and i always like the critics always have that easy story they can do where oh people are getting tired and bored of marvel and then black panther 2 comes out and it's like the best opening weekend of a movie all year yeah <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But yeah, any other big news? Well, there's a couple more DC items. Okay. Um, we're going to swing the show back around to the dark territory again, I guess. I, th- oh. This first one, it, it's dark, but it's also nostalgic and reminiscent. We are looking at the anniversary of the death of Superman, of course. Mm. Uh, one of the major, major 30 years. landmarks of all comic shops from the 90s, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the collected edition, or the special, the special edition came out last week, right? Correct. And you're getting more copies in in the next couple weeks? So we sold out of the first batch, and I've got another batch coming in next week. So if anybody's kind of interested in one, like, so, say, Ryan Shipley, yeah. we should uh, call or just ask you to put one back when it comes in. And what could be more 1990s than selling out of the death of Superman? Right now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, we can't do this any better, Bill. No, no. And, and if you were if you were a collector back in the early 90s, you remember this was probably one of the first books. The death of Superman was probably one of the first books that got mainstream stream media attention the first comic book but people can like before we go into that Mm -hmm. they can if they want to get make sure they get a copy just call and ask you to put one back for next week yeah yeah i mean i sold a bunch but if someone's still missing one uh i'll be more than happy to help them out i think i got like another dozen coming in are they going to be the different various covers uh i think it was mostly the a cover i reordered okay cool so you hear that if you want it just let them know but uh but make sure one for ryan so like but no that book it was I can't believe it's 30 years old. 30 years, yeah. And yeah. I stood in line for it at a comic shop. Because mm-hmm. people were having problems getting the book in their folder. Like, if you subscribe to Superman, uh, yeah. a lot of unscrupulous comic stores would take the book and would sell it to someone off the street. Um, is, someone, yeah, someone who had, like, $20 or $30, and they'd come in, and they would, they would just buy it out of your folder. Is this when, um, in the early 90s, when the speculator market really hit mm-hmm. big? Like, this was, like... It was Death of Superman followed by the where Batman gets broken, That's right? Batman, right. Uh, that'd be Batman 497. Uh, right. And, and you had Image, and you had image and Valiant. Mm-hmm. So the early 90s. Oh, yeah, Valiant. Mm-hmm. With the shiny covers and it, the gloss it was, covers. It was really a perfect storm because between all these different big event books, this new company Image, this new company Valiant, yeah. you also had a lot of sports cards and card collectors who had migrated so the late 80s and early 90s were a wasteland for cards yeah they just overprinted so many same way with comics 
So a lot of card collectors moved into collecting comics in the early 90s. And so card collectors, when they would come into a store, what you would do with a card is if you liked Daryl Strawberry or if you liked Don Mattingly, you would buy 20 of them. You'd buy 20 rookie cards. So they just brought that mentality to comics. So whereas before, when I was a comic collector and I wanted to buy a comic, I just bought one copy. Yeah, I just wanted yeah, to read yeah, the yeah. story. Yep. I didn't need 10 copies. But all of a sudden, you had all these baseball card collectors who would come in and they were ordering 40 copies of Spawn number one, 50 copies of Wildcats number one, because that's how they collected cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it brought that whole kind of mentality of buying multiples into comics. Because um, like 6 million copies of X-Men 1 were printed, right? Like some crazy, outrageous number. Maybe even 7 million. It's, mm-hmm. it's something like that. Yeah. And it's I think it's the Guinness World Book of Record, record holder for the m- biggest print run of any comic ever is X-Men number 1. But I remember as a teenager when Death of Superman came out, it really impressed me because up to that point, I don't think I'd ever seen really a news article about a comic book. Mm-hmm. Up to that point, the only time I would see comic books on TV was there was a run there where they would do a commercial for the new G.I. Joe comic book that was coming out at the oh, end wow. of the next yeah. week. And yeah. that, that impressed me. But to see the actual real news guys talking about the death of Superman yeah. was crazy. It was, I think it made like Time Magazine, yeah. you know? And so it was a huge... And, and it was one of those things where, for instance, you'd go to school and maybe one or two of your friends knew about comics. Yep. Right. Maybe one or two. Yeah. But when this uh, Death of Superman book came out, all of a sudden, those friends that didn't talk to you about comics were coming up asking you about, hey, I heard Superman's dying. You know, pe- yep. just people who weren't even comic book people. And that's mm-hmm. when you first really saw the crossover that, you know, a lot of people that weren't into comics, they could be into comics if they were just introduced into them. Right. Yeah. In my um, English class, I brought the Death of Superman <laughs> into the book and let everybody, like, look at it. And there was one girl, Melanie, who was of course crying. it was Melanie. <laughs> oh, wow. And she read it. But everybody in the room wanted to look at that book. People that didn't like comics right. they didn't like the felt mm-hmm. that comics were nerd stuff right. and yep. they wanted to look at this book well, they wanted to fold out the pages they wanted to to look well, at it i think it. it's important too to remember the and bill you you, you mentioned a little bit of something like if um, somebody was pulling uh you know they'd pull superman out of somebody's box but let's be honest there weren't many supermans in anyone's box okay great point here's what was happening in 1991 of the top 100 individual comics printed that year 90 of them were marvel in 1991, mm-hmm. 90 of them were Marvel. Makes sense. So which ones were DC? DC did not have a single in-continuity, non-miniseries book in the top 50. Wow. The best book was Man of Steel, and the only reason it was at 83 is because it was under its first 10 issues. John Byrne. John Byrne was doing it, yeah. and it was early, so mm-hmm. collectors were still grabbing the book. Right. So here DC walks into 1992 after basically just getting like a come-to-Jesus meeting from McFarlane and everybody else who went to DC and Marvel and said, hey, we're leaving, here's why. Mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, basically they're just like, we're out. So here DC walks into 1992 with this idea they bring out the death of superman and it's not that and here's the thing there were four superman books at the time so a weekly superman book and they were so hard to read that they had to put them numbers on the outside if you remember that's right they had the the shields they had the little shields and so and here um bill made a good point one day the x-men are doing the mutant massacre in the 80s and superman's over here still trying to keep jimmy olsen from being turned into a bug (laughs) and so here we are at superman 75 and we get introduced to doomsday and here's this character that shows up and a bird falls in his hand and doomsday just looks at that bird and just crushes him and you're like what why is that a big deal it's because superman was a g-rated book Mm -hmm. 
Now, Batman, Joker, we see that stuff all the time. And so, and it was just interesting because not only does he beat the Justice League in the book, he does it with one arm tied behind his back. Uh, yeah, literally. And literally. Yeah. And so not does he, he doesn't just punch Guy Gardner. He face plants Guy Gardner. Mm-hmm. So they had a really great time with these kind of like superhero terms. Like he kicked him to the moon when in fact this, things were really happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the next year, 92 ends with Superman 75, the number one comic over the year of, of the year. By far. And then 93 happens. And it's all the return of Superman. So Marvel went from having 50% of the market share down to 30% in only wow. a year and a half. And they're in the middle of all this Image Comics and Valiant pop-up. So what a year. Yeah. But And it's still, even with Image coming back to say, hey, we've been here for you know 30 years, that's great. But it's the death of Superman. And I don't think anything encompasses the whole no. comic boom in one issue, but for that one. It was a pop culture touchstone. It wasn't just comics. It was mm-hmm. pop culture. Well, also through the years, you know, it seems like now somebody kills a comic character every six months. Oh, death of Aquaman, <laughs> death of Spider-Man, what have you. Yeah. But um, back then, that was not a precedent. So it felt very unpredictable. It's like, wait a minute. Is, because he was so unpopular at the time, I, mm-hmm. I felt like, is he going to actually stay and dead? Death, is this really actually happening? had weight back then. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like you think Bucky Barnes was dead for 50 years before mm-hmm. they decided to bring him back. Um, when you would get the Marvel's Handbook of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Those characters were never really coming back. It's not like today. And for the record, I know this is going to ruffle some feathers. I, I wish Jason Todd would have stayed dead. I, I thought Jason Todd was more effective as a dead Robin than uh, the Red Hood. That's just my I would sense. like if they had brought him back, at least brought him back in a better way than Superboy punching reality. Oh, boy. Yeah, that story was a little bit weird. But but people, but I tell you, but people have grown to love Red Hood. Yep, that's the true. character. I mean, yeah. as like we were debating earlier about which was the most mm-hmm. boring Robin of all the Robins, and I think I said Tim Drake, because uh, even Damien, you know, seems a little bit more interesting to me. But with Jason Todd, it's just having kind of that street level vigilante Red Hood character yeah. has really kind of brought him into a new level of. Uh, so what you're saying, today's yeah. people would have never called the number to kill him. The vote was very close. It was very close, but I, I still, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So what happened was back in the day, <laughs> DC had a profit, uh, had a, an idea to, to get money where they would, um, they would let the fans vote on whether or not the Joker would kill Jason kill, Todd. Kill Jason Todd. Yeah, no, no Twitter, no Instagram. And it was no a 1-900 number, if I remember right. <laughs> it was a 1-900 And you would call, and it was 50 cents a call. And I, I must have spent three or four dollars trying to kill Jason Todd because I would call, you know, once a day. My dollar fifty meant nothing, and I know that now. <laughs> yeah, I outspent you, Kevin. But uh, my mom, you know, when she got the phone bill, she was like, "What is this four dollars?" I was killing Jason Todd. You don't understand, Bob. I'm exercising my democratic rights. Yeah. But um, but no. So they and, and I believe, if I remember right, the the the, the fans voted, and the final tally was fifty-two percent to forty-eight percent. Wow to yeah. kill but then again they did keep him dead for a while yep. like that's yep. again when deaths mattered yeah um, no. but i think also what helped death of superman was it wasn't just the event book where it was obviously like hey we're trying to make mm-hmm. cells here it was well done well written it was. and the art was great yeah and, and the return of superman is a lot of fun it was yep. not a i mean it wasn't just a Oh, look, I'm back. I mean, they went through a, I mean, and it was, it was parts were funny. I mean, Superboy, right. that was really funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just, what would Superman be like if he had his powers when he was 16, you know? Yep. And, and that was a modern Superboy. I was like, okay, that was kind of fun, mm-hmm. you know? And I think they, what I did a the, well job. What were the phrases called? So it was death of Superman, funeral for a friend, 
the Return of the Superman, mm-hmm. Reign of the Superman, Reign of the Reign of Superman, the Superman. Right. and then Return of Superman. Return of Superman. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and it was really well done. There was like years there where I, I just read all the Superman books because mm-hmm. it was easily numbered, and you knew you had to read through them all. Well, uh, and really and unpredictable. And I tell yeah. you, the ironic thing about that whole situation was at the time. So when the black bag came out. It was going, the day it came out, stores were selling that book for $20, $25. Mm-hmm. And this is $1991 or whatever, $19. Right. And the black bag was? is the death of Superman. It was sealed. It, it sealed. It's it's a bloody and logo on the front. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was. And it came with some, you know, it had like a poster and an armband. And oh, I think the there was, yeah. I think there was the, a, a mock-up. I wore, I wore the armband oh, school. What? <laughs> In honor. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. But, oh. so when that book came out, it, it immediately shot up in value. Yep. And um, so when they, brought back the return of Superman they they did a white bag so the, the death was black bag mm-hmm. the returns white bag and I remember so many people were outraged when they brought him back it's obviously they're going to bring him back but there were so many speculators that thought that were just getting into comics that thought well, they did I got and this book and, so and they and, bought the white bag though. and so what had happened was so the, <laughs> the stores when these white bags came out stores went nuts mm. and they ordered 500 copies a yep. thousand copies wow because they figured hey if I sold the black bag ones for $25 I must be able to sell the white bags for at least $20, $25 yeah but nobody bought the white bag one I mean, some people bought it, but it just didn't have the the, the, the press coverage that the black bag one had. It didn't have the, like you said, the cultural cachet that the black yeah. one had. The, yep. You know, you took it to school and the white bag. And so I, I would go into stores three, four or five years after uh, the return of Superman, and I would see white bags, Supermans lining the store. Like some stores <laughs> right. would, they would line the walls with them. They'd ordered so many of them. Yeah. And I would go into some stores and this would be six, seven years after and they'd be giving out bag stuffers where you'd buy comics and they'd give you free comics in your bag yeah. and they'd still be giving you that white bag Superman <laughs> for free. When you purchase 50 copies of a book and your friend purchases 50 copies and Bill purchases 50 copies, when it comes time to turn in your copies, there's no one to sell it to. Yeah. So I think it was like our introduction to economics and uh, to learn <laughs> Supply that, and demand, baby. Oh, no, everyone has one. This book isn't worth what I thought it was. Now, so. what is that book growing for right now? Like the, the black the, bag one? The black bag, yeah. $20, $25. Okay. So inflation. So it, it, about once a month, I have someone call me. And they'll say, hey, I bought the, uh, in 1992, I bought this black bag Superman for $25 from uh, a local comic store. And he told me if I put it in a closet and forgot about it for a long time, that I could send my kid to college. So how much can I, uh, how much can I get for it now? And, uh, and it, it's always, it's always heartbreaking to tell yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Now, at least I, I don't tell them zero. You yeah. know, I, I tell them that, it, you know, it's still, it's worth about what you paid for it 30 years ago. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I think, um, has there been any, in the last 30 years, any touchstones like that with comics other than the death of superman any, any so, where it's really hit into mainstream like i that. would say the one that comes to mind quickest is the uh, death of captain america that marvel mm-hmm. did a while uh, back right and um and there was some backlash where some people were like well, i can't believe you're killing off captain america when uh, america's at war with iraq you know and they were kind of and I was yeah like, but uh but no that that one i think got some mainstream uh news coverage uh but similar story to where us old comic book fans we knew that Captain America's not going to stay dead yeah and, by uh, that point certainly not we're all like no. correct yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah and yeah. so the newer fans that come into that came into Captain America through movies and TV shows 
they were the ones that were a little more, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're killing off Steve Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to tell them, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, bro. Just yeah. like when uh, Cap betrayed America and became high, just like, look, Sergeant Slaughter betrayed America back in the early 1990s, <laughs> and he came back around. Yes. It's going to, the same thing's going to happen to Captain America. Yeah. Oh, that just reminds me, so I know I keep breaking up Jamie, but when we went to see Avengers Endgame, uh, she went to the bathroom after the movie, as most people do. And uh, there's a girl crying in a stall, and her friend comes in and goes, "Are you okay?" And she goes, "Do you really think they're all dead?" Look, Just that, that was out. me. <laughs> Spider-Man is dead. They killed Spider. My friend, um, I have a friend that works uh, for Marvel, in in a way, her and her husband, the the the, the business they own is to get cars into the movies, um, like the product placement. So they usually get That's to go onto sets at least once once uh, once a year. And they also get to see scripts really early and get to see the movie. And they had already talked a year before. We have to be there for Shipley when Spider-Man gets, <laughs> gets dusted. We have to be they there knew. for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, who's, I don't... Uh, who's ready for the darkest segue of all time? <clears throat> oh, no. It's just, it's, okay, let me brace strange. myself. Yeah. Yeah. This one did hit me pretty hard, I'll admit. Yeah. But uh, I think we all know what we're, we're about to talk about, which is the uh, unfortunate death of Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember uh, the morning it happened, we have a um, group, uh, Bill, me, and uh, Mike, where we're discussing like what we're going to do the podcast and everything, and I posted in there, <laughs> Kevin Conroy has just passed, Fanboy announced it, but I didn't see it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I still had that little bit of hope mm-hmm. that it was like one of those internet hoax. Right. Um, because he was so young. 66. 66. Yeah. And he had still, he was working up to, I think, close to his death. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently, he was battling cancer and kept it very quiet, much like uh, Chadwick Boseman did. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd seen him maybe it was at a convention like a couple years ago, and he's always been kind of a thin guy, but you know he yeah. looked he looked like he was in good health, and uh, maybe he just kept it real secret. But it kind of like I knew that people loved him, but I know when we uh, posted about it on the the Facebook page. We got a lot of response to that. Like when, if I hear Batman's voice, um, you hear their his. I hear, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. To this day, when I read a comic, that's the voice I hear. Yeah, yeah. Batman Animated Adventure, Batman mm-hmm. Beyond, the Arkham games. I mean, he put, and he actually played, um, I think, older Bruce Wayne on an episode of Batwoman. Yeah, yeah. Mark Hamill posted something that was real touching. I think uh, also where he had done something for Kevin Conroy. But um, and similar with Mark Hamill for the Joker, you know, it's just you you grow up with these shows and you don't realize how intrinsic they are to the fabric of your makeup of your childhood. You know, it's almost yeah. like the soundtrack of your youth a little bit. Yeah, because like for the actors in the movies, you get one or two or three movies mm-hmm. with them. Whereas with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, right. you have so many times that they perform these characters that they, I think, in a way, become the def- definitive versions well, of these characters. I think that's important. You said that too. That they become definitive part of the character. Let's let's keep in mind, Batman has been a part of our culture for eighty plus years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we can't say that very much about a lot of heroes, mm-hmm. and he brought that to a newer generation so i always say when someone's like you know which generation was your batman i like to say it well all of them mm-hmm. i mean i still get his comic every week i mean every month and right. I, to me i mean that's a it's just to maintain a legacy of something a, a part of america if you were part of the world for 80 plus years right mm. and to honestly define a role to be a part of that that's amazing so it's definitely a big loss for everyone yeah, yeah. and it seemed like hearing stories because i read a lot of articles about kevin conroy after his passing it seemed like he was grateful and humble and appreciative yes, yes. of mm-hmm. 
what the fan how what the fans thought of him and how they thanked him so yeah if you ever yeah. saw him at a convention he was a great ambassador for uh for the the show and he was fantastic with fans and always took time and, and spoke with everybody and treated everybody with respect did he ever go to fanboy while you were there i don't think mm. i ever saw him at fanboy um that would have been a fantastic guest mm. but uh but he did do the circuit you know you'd see him at a lot of uh, conventions or you'd see his name at a lot of conventions and like i said he um, he's one of those guys that when you did see him he never he never felt like he was he wasn't grateful for the chance he was given the opportunity he was given he he always uh, exuded you know class and um, it's it's a shame. It really is because sixty six is very young in today's world. <laughs> very young, and and it sucks too because a lot of people like the last like the millennials, the Gen Zers, are starting to realize like we've been dealing with for a minute. The heroes from your childhood are still going to pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it stinks. But the most thing, the best thing you can do is is remember them, and what they did for your life, how they improved your life, or added to it. I guess. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well well, we have 109 episodes of Batman the Animated Series to go back in and appreciate wow. his work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and a Batman couple movies. Beyond, yeah. And then and and three ever, really excellent games. And if you'd like to uh, just fly around Gotham, which is <laughs> kind of a very relaxing thing to do, just throw Arkham in. You can get it for five bucks on your uh, Steam account, I think, now. And just Great uh, game. What yes. a lot of fun. All of them are good, yeah. <laughs> Ah, so well done. So and we cool. found out that I was actually, I'm not great at video games, but I found out that I was really good at the Batmobile missions, which people oh. disliked. Mm. So then my friends were talking, they're like, you've got what? And I managed to get all the highest scores on the little nice. Batmobile mission. And I was really proud of that. I'm the guy that loses <laughs> at Mortal Kombat with the best character. I'm not good at video games. Yeah. I played Warcraft and I still wasn't, you know, like they would kick me out of the group. You know, it's... um. Unfortunately, we just had a lot of deaths that week. Uh, mm. Kevin Conroy, Carlos. Uh, uh, Pacheco, yeah. Um, that one kind of hurt. Um, it's just one of those things, unfortunately, as you get older, you're, the people you grow up with, your inspirations are going to pass, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to come to grips with, but, uh, but it does happen. And um, it, it's just a, a way to mark the passing of time and, um, and realize that uh, just take advantage of these people uh, that you admire, that you love while they're here. Well, Mr. Kevin Smith, guess what? You're the lucky one that's going to get to bring us out of this. So, bring us out of this death spiral. You cannot segue out of that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's talk about Mr. Smith here. Why he's here with us today? Yeah. What are we talking about? I know um, we were talking earlier about collecting um, collecting cards and the card hobby. Yeah. And one of the things as um, as a combo collector, one of the crossover things that we would collect a lot of times with were sports cards and non-sports cards. Yep. As a matter of fact, we were talking earlier about how Wizard Magazine, the, the, the comic uh, price guide, would often include these little cards uh, that we'd collect. And yep. So back in the 90s, comic cards were all the rage. In um, uh, early 90s. Yep. Hildebrandt brother, Hildebrandt Brothers? Yeah, Fleer did a couple sets of Fleer Masterpiece cards. The and, X-Men um, ones that we the, discussed. The X-Men were huge. I wish I still had that Jim Lee X-Men set. Anybody yeah. out there that has an extra one, send it my huh. way. <laughs> the, <laughs> the DC ones were great. They had those really cool hologram uh, cards like Lobo. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. And, um, and so I think if... Um, if I remember right, Kevin uh, has collected for how many? How long have you been collecting cards, Kevin? Um, I actually collected cards before comics. Right. So I was probably seven or eight, and then my mm. my mom was into the cards. She got kind of into the card craze, 
and being that uh, job prospects for seven and eight year olds were pretty thin in the nineties, <laughs> yeah. um, washing dishes and it was go to um, work for Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> and there used to be a lot of card uh, card shops in Chattanooga. There were quite a few in the Fort Oglethorpe area and things like that. And mm-hmm. so. It was an easy hobby to get into. You could buy them at the grocery stores. They were everywhere. And they were everywhere. Yeah. And so comic books tend at the grocery store tended to got tore up, which yep. I wasn't on a huge fan racks. of that on the spinners. Mm-hmm. And um, so I actually, there used to, it used to be there would be sports cards and comic book shows. Mm-hmm. And um, so obviously I've been collecting sports cards. I, I stopped for quite some time, unfortunately. And that's one of the things I would, I would talk about now is... Um, when I recently picked up some sports cards and I collect sets and any, and Bill knows how I collect comics. I collect full runs of comics. I have every issue of Robin. Okay. So that's, and and so when everyone's like, who would pay $5 for Robin 23? Well, if you're missing issue 23 of a 200 issue run, (laughs) you're going to lay down five bucks. Okay. So I love to collect sets and I found out that's not how cards are run now. And he said, this isn't a hobby for a comic, but this isn't a hobby for collectors anymore. It's a hobby for gamblers. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have to ask myself when I buy a blast, a blister pack, a blaster pack, if you will, with four packs of cards in it, one of them's going to be an autograph, but we're looking at 35 to $55 for one of those. And that's that per, per pack per three or four packs. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's if you don't, that's unless there are packs out there now, 20, 30, $50 per pack. Oh and I'm not saying goodness. they're overcharging. That's what people are paying in the hobby. And it's not for me to decide. Yeah. But I have to ask myself is opening the fun of opening this box? Is it $40 worth of fun or a silver age right. action mm-hmm. comics? And so sometimes I make the choice. Other times I like to buy like random envelopes that have a chance to get a, a decent football card in it. But it's a it's a very different hobby than when even you were in it, Bill. And right. um, so I don't do it as much now because it's just a much more difficult hobby. There's only one sports car t- uh, in yeah. place in town, mm. and it's and like you said, the prices have just gotten to where it's it's <clears throat> it's really not feasible to to buy a bunch. So it's not like because back in our day when we were younger, mm-hmm. you could go to the grocery store and buy the little packs that came with the sure. old gum. Um, do they not do that anymore? Well, first off, I ate a piece of gum from 1989, and I want you to know it tastes exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Gums. Not, gum 1989. Um, but um, you can still buy packs, and typically, okay. though, the packs, though, it's like a, a very small, small chance of getting something other than the common cards. Or, And the thing is, used to, what you would do is if there would be a 300-card set, you would buy, say half a box your friend would get half a box and yep. you would trade the extras between each other if you had a really good star or something you could get two cards for him right no one does that anymore okay mm-hmm. it goes on ebay you pay a quarter a card because of shipping and unless it's an autograph or a jersey piece card or something like that people are typically not interested in it it's um it's very much prone to the speculator market and um so i just don't know how to break into it and it's for me i enjoy talking comic books um, I'm a comic book collector. I'm not a comic book dealer. Mm-hmm. When people ask me how much you think I could, and I'm like, I'm the worst person in the world to ask because if I see something I want right. and I think it's worth what they're going to sell it, I don't haggle. Here you go. I'm going right. to buy it because I'm not reselling it. So cards, it's kind of a little different for me. So I'm having a little bit of trouble really breaking into the great stuff. But huh. my favorite thing to do is to buy like 
big boxes of 5,000 random cards and just uh, spending a whole week just going through them. So when you say random, do you mean random in the sense that you don't know who you're getting or random in the sense that some of them are sports cards, some of them are comic cards, some of them are gaming cards? No, um, unfortunately, non-sports cards are a, a market that I would love for someone to kind of bring to Knoxville or bring outside mm-hmm. of eBay, and it's unfortunately not happened. We can't even get shows for them anymore. So I will buy random football cards, and um, depending on what the price, like I bought one random box, I believe, at $150 once, and it was awesome. Like you would have uh, autographs many, in it, and it was how a, many cards did you get for one hundred fifty dollars? I mean, it was quite a few because okay. they, that's how they would uh, sell their common cards as well. Okay. And because I collect sets, they're beneficial yeah. to me. Yeah. When you say sets, do you mean like do they still do the sets, or is it like you know tops would do tops eighty nine, and you would have all the cards? You in can, that set. and you can buy the sets sealed right now for probably fifty five dollars at Target. Mm-hmm. They'll have them for a little bit, and you can mm-hmm. buy a full set, and you get maybe one or two of the little chase cards in them. Yeah. None of the little like. Uh, the little like uh, what would you call them like uh touchdown leaders you know the little hmm. subsets yeah. and but again uh, they have some fun things out there they have the allen and ginter cards which look like the old tobacco cards how oh, cool. fun is that like the horse wagner yeah and so there's a lot of fun things out there but it's a it is definitely a hobby that's not for our old us old timers that used to <laughs> buy 36 pack boxes and sit around and open them and unfortunately um, you have to have some pretty good money to buy 36 packs of some of the new sets. So, yeah. And a lot of them don't even have the names of the um, teams on their jerseys. Like You have to make sure that you get someone that has been licensed with the NFL. Otherwise, wow. your Atlanta Falcons helmet won't have a symbol on it. <laughs> they just airbrush it off? Or they just, they uh, do. And it's, um, it's pretty hideous. Yeah. And so, um, but again, I don't know how that's going to work with the sports world now with the new, what do we call it? The uh, likeness. I'm going to say it wrong. The uh, in, in, uh, Name, image, likeness rights. Right. And so mm. I'm a big fan, of course, any cards that have Tennessee Vols in their orange uniforms. I'll typically buy those because it's just too much fun for me to see the huh. players. And um, So what do you think caused the uh, the death of the, the, the card store? Like, I mean, so when you and I were younger, mm-hmm. there were card stores everywhere. And to find a comic store was rare. Yeah, and right. now it's like the opposite. I see comic stores uh, generally a lot more often than I see card stores. Yeah, for people that aren't in the Knoxville area that are listening to us, we must have in Knoxville four or five comic book stores. I think that's right, and only one card store. Yeah. Right, and there's a second one. I don't want to leave that gentleman out. He has very di- uh, difficult hours to get over there. Only takes okay. cash, and so it's I've not bought a oh. lot from him. But, um, you think they just got too expensive and they just priced the kids I, out of uh, collecting? I, th- I think that it's been priced out, and also it's kind of, I think, I always used to call it like the boiler room effect. If y'all remember that movie, because yeah. they were doing like kind of a chop shop on stocks. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, a card's going to go from worthless to where they're going to be the number one draft pick until they throw their first interception, and the card value is $1,000 all the way down to 15 or something crazy. So it's something that you got to move fast. you got to be a hustler. you okay. got to be a gambler. Right. Mm. And I'm, I'm not a gambler. I'm terrible at gambling. I play hold on y'all. So y'all want me on the table? Yes. Because I'm over there thinking, like, what's the math on this? And then I get yeah. tired, and I'm like, here, I'll just, I'll just do huh. it. And We're inviting so, Kevin to our next card yes, game. Yes. So, so we're going to start super late, too, <laughs> so we right. can get tired. So I think that's what's happened to the card stores and it's you know you have to put out um used to you could buy a case of tops for a reasonable price mm-hmm. and you could sell those for years to where now a case is going to put you back what five digits in many cases wow so if you think about it in that way and then some of these autographs that you're pulling you will open up say the 35 dollar blaster pack and it'll be an autograph of someone that it's relatively unknown, mm-hmm. 
you're never going to get your money back on that pack. You're not going to be able mm-hmm. to sell that. But why are you buying it? You want that $900 LeBron James that shouldn't even be in a football card pack. You're just like, I can't even play this sport. Right. But hey, who cares? Yeah. It's an yeah. autograph. And so, but there's some fun things out there. They put pieces of their jersey on a card. So if you yeah. really like a player, then obviously, how cool is that? I've seen mm-hmm. that where they'll cut, <clears throat> they'll cut a bat up and you can get like a sliver of someone's baseball bat or mm-hmm. like you said, a swatch of fabric from their jersey. Huh. So that's, um, and I think that's kind of what's happened. Like I said, I don't, I'm a big umbrella type guy. Let's bring everybody in. I mm. want people to collect sports cards, but I don't fight for things. And if I'm at Target and someone wants to get into an argument over some cards, I'm just going to hand it to them. Mm. Okay. I don't, yeah. I'm just not interested in that. And um, unfortunately, that's kind of where it's at at the moment. But again, I mean, ebbs and flows. So let's see if it changes here what shortly. What are they next? Like this one comes with Tom Brady's uh, fingernail. You get, like, <laughs> <all> his fingernails. <laughs> you get a Tom and Giselle's divorce contract. <laughs> you beat me. I was right there, Bill. <laughs> uh, amazing. Was, have you ever... Uh, the cut up inflated ball. <laughs> now, now, be honest with you, Kevin. Be honest with us. The uh, Out of all the card collectors... Out of every single type, mm-hmm. the absolute worst has to be the Pokemon card collectors, right? How about how about we say that it's not that it's Pokemon because it's the Yu-Gi-Oh players because they're mad that they're not Pokemon. Oh. So you get all of the same attributes but and just, then a chip on the shoulder. I remember, <laughs> no, like last year I think it was, Target had to change their policy how they yes. did yep. uh, Pokemon launch days because people were just going nuts. They were throwing hands, they said, in the parking lot. I want to be the very best. They were did too on TikTok. I saw... Uh, mothers that were devastated because they took their kids to McDonald's to get the Pokemon Happy Meals. Yes. And before they could, some kid, uh, teenager, adult, had gone and bought out every Happy Meal yeah. just so yeah. they could get the Pokemon. I mean, there were three dead card. Pikachus in the parking lot. It was really tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what did you bring to the show? So, Bill, you all talked about having uh, people that collected things that were outside of comics. So, since we were talking about the death of Superman... And this is cool. We have not seen anything no. he's got in this box. Oh, if he pulls out Gwyneth Paltrow's head, uh, <laughs> it could be a live snake. What, yeah. what says 1990, but an unopened box what? of Valiant? No. Oh, look at that. All right. Wow. And we're going to so, put pictures up on the um, the Facebook page when we post this so everybody can see. So, Bill, um, right. even I, the box looks nice. I bought this in um, Pigeon Forge. Mm-hmm. And um, these cards, these Valiant cards, the reason they're so important is because people thought it was going to be the next biggest thing. Mm. People have been eating these things for lunch for seven years because they bought cases and cases and cases. The card sets are virtually worthless. Right. Because they're, I think you can get a full set for five bucks. I saw this box and I bought it immediately. Huh. And the guy was like, that thing's been there for, I was like, I don't care. This is amazing. Yeah, right, right, right. So I have it in the box. It's in a display. The, mm-hmm. the box looks great. And I have it on a display and uh, Bill uh, sold me a uh, display case and uh, helped me get it in my car, mind you. Thank you, Bill. And um, I have a display case of what would this display look like if it were a display in the 1990s card shop. So I I brought that for 1990s for uh, Superman. 1993, according to the copyright on it. The second thing is not all cards are worthless, Mm -hmm. if you will. And so when I was a kid, um, (laughs) I would never be able to afford these. So as an adult, I actually tracked them down. And Mm -hmm. so... I have here from my collection, and these are in my display, rookie cards for Jim Kelly, Lawrence Taylor, LT, Bo Jackson, Bo Nose, Joe Montana, Nice, Warren Moon, 
Whoa. Dan Marino. Ooh. John Elway. Uh-huh. And Eric Dickerson. So when I was a kid, these were the cards that sat in the back of the store that I was never going to own. Right. And so as an adult, I found them. Yeah. yeah. And over the years, I purchased these cards. And so obviously, I have this set. The Joe Montana is probably the most sought after. Uh, the apparently the Dan Marino is in good enough condition. Somebody wants me to have it graded. Mm-hmm. Recommends me to, to resell it and buy one if I'm not interested in graded cards. Again, I'm not a card dealer. Right. So I don't know if it works or not, but I do know that I enjoy this in my display case, and that's kind of where it's going to be probably. And so all of those look like they're great. Yeah, that's amazing because okay, so Dan Marino rookie card is probably like early '80s, right? Um, the Joe Montana's in '81. Wow. And this, um, some of these sets, like you can see here, like the um, the collar's not even faded. No, and so I, um, I'm really proud of these, and it's and it's just it's kind of fun. These guys were uh, our heroes when we were younger, so to have their cards, and right. I, um, and these are still sought after. People still collect these, so there's still some guys out there like us that um, are grabbing these. So super proud of them. Yeah, and no. you should be. So sticking with the cards. This, is Top still around? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think they so, just lost the, the baseball card license, someone told me. They may have. Oh. And so what about this? If this doesn't say Ooh. 1990s, nothing does. This is a 1990s. Oh, look at the gold box. Gold box of action-packed 1990s edition. Now, look mm-hmm. at this, y'all. This is fantastic. You're going to love it. We even get a letter from them, okay? Wow. Oh. Like, look at this. Oh, letter of authenticity, right? That's and fancy. so. And that's the, in mint condition. <laughs> and yeah. it's so funny because these are still wrapped. Whoa. And um, these cards are kind of like a Braille feel on yep. them. They did that uh, a lot like 3D, back then. Yeah, yeah, kind and of raised. Um, yeah. And so everyone bought these knowing they're going to be worth like $1,000. I think that I picked this up off eBay for probably $25. Now, what, set, right? is, what set is that? Is that this a, is the 1990 Action Pact. It's a great they're, name for a Isn't this fantastic? Set. And so... Like they even have their address that um, they were here. They're letting us know. Congratulations, right. you purchased the first ever action-packed right. NFL box set, 2018 set. I mean, man, as a kid, yeah, oh, yeah, this was yeah. amazing. And I used yeah. to sit and watch it, look at. It. I was like, one day I'm going to have that. Right. And I think it was a little bit disappointing that I got it for under thirty dollars. But at the same time, it's uh, that's definitely in the uh, one of my friends probably enjoy this the most. And who um, produced that? Um, Action Pact is actually the name of the company. The of the company. Yeah, and it oh, says okay. here that that card that we just felt, mm-hmm. um, the Jim Plunkett uh, <laughs> Braille card was the first Braille sports trading card ever issued. I wonder what's the Whoa. Jim Plunkett. Um, See, I never a, got an answer on that. Is he, maybe he's deaf? Or well, no, I, he's blind would be Braille, and so I, I don't know. I remember as a kid <laughs> that um, Jim Plunkett was a little before me, so we didn't know who he was, but we all know we wanted this card. Right, and right. And so uh, those were, again... And I wanted to stick with the theme again because Superman in the 90s. And so the other thing that I think was interesting is I collect games. Yes. And this Ooh, is... Not, not video games, I see. Oh, looky there. This is a tabletop. Well, real quick, bro, on the Jim Pluckett. Mm-hmm. It may be, it says here... His parents were both blind. Oh, so I wonder if oh, that would make sense. Well, that makes me more proud of that card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wonder if that is the reason. It's got to be. 
Yeah, that's cool. Oh my goodness. So this so, anyway, is sorry. DC Heroes role-playing game, and I awesome. remember as a kid, this is a tabletop RPG, so it's pen and paper, mm-hmm. old school. Yes. I'm a big D&D fan, and, so and this is super cool for me to see. Yes, and so it was D&D with comic book characters, and actually what reminded me of this is one day Bill got these cards in and said, Kevin, you know what these are, and they were in fact the game cards. Oh, wow. Mm. And the whole set would have these little cards here. Mm-hmm. And well, that's Ozymandias. Mm-hmm. And they are. They are. Whoa, these are they really, had Watchmen characters in there, they too? They had Watchmen characters oh, wow. and Watchmen sets. And uh, this one even comes with the original dice. I was able to purchase this at Whoa. McKay's Used Books. And I purchased, when I bought it, three people tried to buy it from me really? as I was walking out of the store. Huh. Nice. So these things are more readily available than people think. You just got to kind of know where to find them type things. But um, right. If you don't mind me asking, do you remember what you paid for that? Um, I bought this for $45. Nice. Which um, is what I would have paid for it probably back in the 80s when it came out. 89, I believe, is when this came out. Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of stuff in the set. There, there is. There's quite a bit of the cards, and of course the books are in pristine condition. I've not put them in bags like Whoa, I'm supposed that to. That does look new. And yeah. so whoever had this game, I think... Took care of it. Not yeah. only took care of it, probably never played it, which is unfortunate because mm-hmm. you had to have... No, one, the rules are very difficult on this one. I think people we probably should keep in mind that um, the D20 system has saved role-playing games. Oh, absolutely. And this was not the D20 system. <laughs> so this was more like seven, eight rolls just to uh, have Batman run across the room. And so... Um, and by the way, <clears throat> Batman's wealth is 20 on his card. <laughs> what is Superman's strength and what's Green Lantern's um, strength? What is his strength compared to Green Superman's Lantern's? Superman's... got to be maxed out, right? Strength is 25. Yeah. And Green Lantern strength is four, but his willpower is twenty-five. Uh-huh. Oh, See, that so adds up. Yeah. And deep yeah. cuts too, because Gnort yeah. is also in here. Um, One of my favorite lanterns. Yeah, same. Uh, wow, this is so, amazing. We need to actually, if we ever do like a live episode, like in like on YouTube or whatever, right. we should play this game. And uh, we could definitely play this. And so, speaking of games, we are all well aware of the fact of these elaborate Warhammer uh, oh, sets. Yeah. Hmm. We and I build Warhammer figures, and they're elaborate. They're very big, and you have these huge armies. Well, where did it start? Mm-hmm. It started at a tabletop RPG. Oh, looky there, Warhammer! Whoa. This is from the early '80s, and this is the original Warhammer. This is the original Warhammer. Look at that hand-drawn a- art on there. And so, if you'll look here, this comes with paper cutouts. Whoa. So, no figures. It's just the cutouts. Here's your big world map. Wow. And whoever had this actually played it, and I managed to keep all the little pieces here. Cool. And so... I feel scared even holding these in my hand as I try to take uh, pictures. And speaking of, like, hand-drawn art, there's the posters that came with it. Yeah. Man. This is really significant because how big Warhammer has gotten. I mean, this is is a very significant piece here. So, I purchased this with a lot of other games. So, I wonder if the person realized that because I purchased a huge set of Dungeons & Dragons... And this was in there, along with a lot of other role-playing games from the early 80s and late 70s when this kind of genre took off. And I think what's great is all those elaborate figures, and this is where we came from. Oh, look at These little stand-ups, and there are... Cardboard cut standouts. I actually took this to the Warhammer store 
and I think three people cried. Oh, I'm wow. not certain, but they. Um, I've been offered a significant amount of money for this, and I've turned it down each it, time because it, simply I can't find it anywhere. What else. year was this, Kevin? Eighty-six. I believe. Eighty-six. Wow. That's the amazing. last thing I wanted to. Two things. I don't is, know what else cool stuff you have in right? that. Yeah. <laughs> This is the original so. hit of the guy who created a, a D&D. Here is the first I found edition, it at McKay's. The first edition of iRobot by Isaac Asimov. Oh, yeah. And so I found that at a flea market in a series of uh, quarter books. And the guy didn't just didn't know what it was. Did you I, gasp when you saw it? I gasp, and I um, I told him I think the book was worth more, and he said um, it's going to be worth more if I don't have it. And I said, okay, fair <laughs> enough. So he wanted rid of them. Yeah. And he goes, well, don't you want you know? He said it's five for a dollar, or they're a quarter each. You save some money. And I was like, really, I feel okay. Huh. Now, did so, you see the movie first, or did you read the book first? Um, actually, I've read this book numerous times. It's okay. one of my favorite cool. uh, books, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll and um, it'll be a suggestion later, not just this book in spe- uh, specifically. And this is but first print. This is the, the first print. Yeah. Wow! And so the last thing, how fun is this? An unopened from Lionel Playworld. Ooh! Space Invaders Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Wow! Wow! That is so. Historic. I bought this not only because it was unopened, but yeah. for this Lionel up here at the top. And what is Lionel? Lionel was a toy store in the vein of, say, Toys R Us. Right. And they used to do train sets. Lionel train sets are what they're known for. So they had a toy store when Toys R Us were very uncommon. They were only in cities like Nashville, right. things like that, bigger cities. Big, and yeah. so for Chattanooga, we had a Lionel Play World. Oh, wow. And so for me, I found this in Johnson City, Tennessee, in the back of a a store where the guy was uh, selling he was selling toys I moved to I moved to Mogwai over I think and I <laughs> uh, I found this and he said well I have one without the sticker and it's a little more and I was like mm. I would have paid more for the one with the sticker mm. so, yeah. yeah and again this is for me I have a working Atari 2600 I was about to ask wow I have a working Atari 2600 it has Frogger in there right now and huh. I change out the game every six months or so I usually put it on Facebook and ask yeah. hey what game should I put on here and so oh, that's um, cool. I want to get in on that yeah right here. and so Space Invaders I was unopened and it sits there I also have an unopened copy of Tank Commander I believe is the other mm-hmm. one and so there is a market for these games. Well, and, there definitely um, is. Um, Atari definitely is a big part of the history of, of video games. Apparently, there's very rare Atari games that are worth mm-hmm. a substantial amount of money. Which Absolutely. I'm, I'm just not very familiar with. Yeah, and then plus, and, like, um, the pricing for old video games now has just yeah. gotten ridiculous. Like, yeah. I, I was at the um, mall the other day, and they have the comic store that's kind of near one of the entrance and they had like unopened chrono trigger for like three hundred dollars and it's just kind of ridiculous in their defense chrono trigger was a really it's a very good game but i can't think of a day where i'm gonna go buy a physical copy of a game and pay that kind of money the video game market and I, i tell you one thing that's recently has happened is that you've had a lot of people that have sent in video games now that we can get them graded. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, yeah. if Kevin yeah. wanted to send in that Atari, that um, that uh, Space Invaders, yeah, you know, and so I had somebody just recently, I submitted my first video game for grading. It was oh. a uh, Castlevania... Symphony of the Night. Yep, I believe it awesome. was. Okay. Yeah. Groundbreaking game. So, um, so I'm gonna be curious to see what the case comes back, what it looks like, how they actually grade a... We'll um, get some pictures and put it on the socials. 
But yeah, I do. I, I enjoy collecting the board games and things like that. Board games are very expensive right now. Um, right. Yeah, they're, they're typically they're very popular, anywhere yeah. from fifty-five to a hundred and something dollars, wow. depending on the game. Yeah. And I have some of the better ones. Gloomhaven is a That's big one. That's an expensive one. It is, and it, it actually weighs about a uh, like. It's really fantastic. Like you carry it around, it's like you mean something. You know, yeah. so look at this Gloomhaven. That's <laughs> a heft. You know what? Uh, show and tell is my favorite segment on our show now. <laughs> I love show and tell, and <laughs> Kevin knocked it out of the park. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Such, such great stuff, and, and, and it brings back such memories, especially yeah. from my era of the 80s and 90s. Right, and so my wife, it was really funny when she goes, why are you taking a comic book box of bills? And I was like, it's show and tell. And she goes, what, are you literally just taking the stuff back that you bought from him over the last 15 years? And I was like, no, not this time. I was like, this is stuff that's, you know, uh, I want to bring some different yeah. things. And You will be back on the show. <laughs> yes, <absolutely. laughs> yeah. You should uh, listeners, you should have seen Mike's eyes when he pulled out the DC Heroes role playing and the Warhammer. Um, Mike's eyes went big. All right, I guess it's time to start kind of wrapping this one up. Yeah, let's bring things back into the current with the book of the week. Nice. All right. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go first. So um, I'm going to recommend for this week a, uh, a Marvel book called Gold Goblin Number 1. Oh. Hmm. And it picks up with the, um, the Peter Parker Green Goblin storyline where Sin Eater has basically has cleansed Goblin of his sins. So you basically have a Green Goblin who's now as, as reformed as his ways and is <laughs> is going the straight and narrow. And um, he's uh, he's back on a glider, except he's got a new um, he's got a new costume. Looks gold. The, gl- the glider looks new. And uh, the storyline is basically just kind of Peter watching over, just making sure that Goblin kind of behaves himself and with his brand new version of a uh, uh, Green Goblin. And this is leading into Dark Web, right? Right. So apparently, I'm sure there's going to be some big twist along the way, and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe Goblin goes bad again. What? What? No. no. But but yeah yeah. But for the time being, it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the um, the Doc Ock storyline, where it was uh, when Doc Ock was trying to pass off as being a good guy. Hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, what, what comes of it. But for, for now, if you just want to read a really good uh, Green Goblin story that doesn't feel like a Green Goblin story you've read a million times, uh, Gold Goblin is the way to go. I'm going to use my powers of production and time travel all the way back to last week. Oh, That's right. Uh, I want to spotlight on Wildcats number one. Um, it's a book that I was hesitant about because Wildcats has had such a spotty history in the past, of course. But I wanted to like it. I was like, come on, please just let this be good. And I was so happy that it was. I really enjoyed it. It's by Matthew Rosenberg and Steven Segovia. The art was great. The writing was uh, inspired. It was fun. It was peppy. Uh, showed some surprise characters, which I was cool to see. I, I won't spoil it. But uh, I know a lot of people like myself might have been hesitant on it. But I'm here to tell you, it was good. It was solid. I'd, I'd recommend it. Give it a shot. Wildcats won. Um, I'm, I'm mine's going to be a little bit different because it was... Um... It was a lot of fun for me, but let's go ahead and pick up that Archie Horror book and the sorcery and the, um, it's Archie Horror is a lot of fun. It's Mm. just ridiculous. I mean, we take these time honored characters, you know, here's Mr. Archie, this, this great kid. And then we're going to throw zombies in there. We, (laughs) we, 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 you know, make Veronica a vampire and, um, and honestly, I mean, it's just too much fun. Like Jughead's a werewolf. Jughead's a werewolf. And you know how much Jughead eats? <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. so this is a problem. And so Sabrina's a good witch, but at the same time, she can really kick some ass. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think, so we just got a new Archie Horror book. And so 
let's check that out because it's um unfortunately they've not finished the archie horror story but if they just keep putting out one shots like this you know what i'm going to be perfectly fine with huh. it and so I, I think everyone should check it out it's got some kind of some art that i think everyone will enjoy fantastic covers there's two of them right. and so um i just it's a fun little one shot that everybody should check out very cool <laughs> awesome and mine is um he worked on Oblivion song with uh, Robert Kirkman. I, I may be mispronouncing this, Lorenzo Di Felici. Felici. Mm-hmm. I try to find uh, like my bit where I, you know, have the Google tell me, but it, the it, name? Was, no. it wasn't on there. No. Um, but he's got a new book called Chroma, K R O M A. Um, there was a preview of it in another Image book recently. I forgot which book it was, but um, if. He has really cool, cool monster design, right. and this, this book looks like it's in his wheelhouse. So but it's a monster book? It looks like kind of like a bit of a monster book, but it's called uh, Chroma, mm-hmm. and I believe we have it in the we store. Do. Yep, it just came out uh, today. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So exciting. I have no idea what it's about, right. but you know how that is. Like Those are the best recommendations sometimes. Yeah. There's books where, like, you know, I'll go over to your shelf there, yeah. pull the book out of the wrapping, like... Do like that with my finger and look through it. You're not listening to this bill. Sometimes I'll take it in the bathroom. But, you know, there's some books where if I see a certain name on the cover, right. I'm down for it. And he's kind of a newer uh, awesome. creator that I'm going to definitely follow. That's a good recommendation. Yep. Very cool. Well, that'll do it for Book of the Week. You know, normally we like to round things up with uh, recommendations, various things we've been into. But uh, this week, I think we're going to replace that. Since it's Thanksgiving week, let's, let's do a little round of thanks. Why don't we? Hmm? Oh, that's okay. a good idea. Kindness. Well, I'll go first. Uh, I want to first of all, I want to thank Kevin for being here tonight. Oh, there we go. There we go. And uh, second, I would like to just um, just a general thanks to all the um, the customers and friends over the last twenty three years that we've made here at Comic Exchange. Um, thanks for allowing me to do something that I love that I don't really even consider a job. Um, it feels like I kind of go to the basement of my house and I hang out with my friends <laughs> and sometimes they buy stuff. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but at no point has this ever felt like a job. And so I just want to thank everybody for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to serve you guys. So, so you really go with that phrase. Um, if mm-hmm. you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's 100% true. Hmm. Except on Wednesdays. I work on Wednesdays. (laughs) Yes. For me, it's, you know, I just recently had the flu. And, you know, after everything that happened with COVID and everything, I'm finally hitting that age where I say I'm thankful for my health. Because Mm -hmm. I think there's now a different feeling when you're laid up in bed and you're less like used to. It's like, I'm sick. What's this? I'm fine. Now it's like, okay, whoa, this is dangerous. You know, Mm -hmm. this is scary kind of thing. So I'm a... Super thankful for that. I'm now in a position with work to where I have um, a lot more family time, something I didn't think was going to be, something I didn't think I was going to have in my previous profession. And so I have that now, and I take full advantage of it, and it's a lot of fun. And I get to do things like this, like come on a podcast now Hmm. instead of being at work. So I'm uh, very thankful to be here. And, uh, And again, knowing you guys and... If it wasn't for Bill, I would probably collect uh, comic books. I, think I always call it the Top Gun rule. When she told him, she goes, he would have flown, but he'd have hated it without you. <laughs> and uh, so I definitely um, makes this hobby a lot more enjoyable. And like I said, it's better than having a field full of dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> the smell alone. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm thankful, and it's just not because mm-hmm. you're here. Yeah. I'm thankful for uh, Bill Langford. Um, I can say I started, ironically, the first week I came to the store, 
was 2007 for the death of Captain America. Because mm-hmm. the store I was going at the time that's no longer a business was trying to sell those for $25 yeah. an issue. Um, and it's over not my the, first rodeo. Yeah, and over the years, just seeing like just how cut, how good of customer service that you have and how you treat your customers as friends and family. Yeah. I remember there was one time I was kind of having a dark spot in my life mm-hmm. and Bill just showed up 10 o'clock at night comp his my weekly comics in hand and made me go with him to see a movie and i know there's been people that can probably tell the same story where they're in the hospital and bill shows up with their comics are um when our friend terry from the new sentinel Mm -hmm. was doing poorly and you would um take him his comics and it's just one of those things where there's a lot of places that you go to where it's just a transactional you're the customer Mm -hmm. you're the seller um, but I think you go a little bit past that. And I think Knoxville and, yeah, all of us in this community are grateful to have you. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. Now can I get some free credit? <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. Thanks. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm going to also piggyback off of that and give thanks for the Comics Exchange. It's always a, a fun place to come and visit every week. It's, you know, seeing friends, feels like family, a little home away from home. So it, it, that's very cool as well. And I would just like to give thanks for my current life status in general right now. Anyone that knows me knows that Jamie and I have been through a lot the past couple of years selling the house, getting caught in that crazy housing market, all our collectibles and stuff mm. was in a how you know storage unit for a year, year and a half. So we're, we're finally settled. I'm able to enjoy uh, those mm-hmm. comics and figures and, and painting and all that stuff that has been you know out of my reach for the past year and a half. So I'm feeling settled. I'm enjoying the uh, bi-weekly podcast here, just getting used to these routines. So I'm, I'm just thankful for life in general right now. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. That's awesome. Wow, this has been quite the episode. What a yeah. lot of content, a lot of meat. Yeah, and ironic, uh, not ironic, but fitting because Thursday is Thanksgiving. Oh, indeed it is. And on that note, why don't we give thanks to all of our listeners. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank everybody. You. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, eat a lot of deviled eggs. Oh, no, no. 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 <laughs> Stay away from that. Deviled eggs are the best. <laughs> They're terrible. Oh, you guys are wrong. No. No, you, can, you want to ask somebody, hey, you want to eat a dozen eggs? No, that's ridiculous. Hold on, what if I mix them with mayonnaise? <laughs> oh, okay, I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> deviled eggs for the team deviled eggs. And we hope everybody out there in listener world enjoys their Thanksgiving and gets all full of your favorite food. I'll deviled eggs. Full of your favorite food. Deviled eggs. <laughs> Brian's getting nothing but deviled eggs. <laughs> look at this. I just spoke from the heart to Bill about how much I loved him, and then he immediately crapped on my deviled eggs. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I'm Mike B. Ron Shipley. I'm Ryan Shipley. <laughs> Ryan. Hey, look it up, Shipley. <laughs> I'm Bill Langford. I'm Kevin Smith. And we will see you in the funny books. Bye. Bye.